Hey there, everybody. It's me, Ian Shapiro, the politician, and, you know, also the host for Politics Explained. Uh, you know, I've been gone for a little bit here on Anchor and iTunes or Google Play. I probably not getting this on Google Play. Uh, but anyway, I am here and I'm here to talk about politics, to take Collins about politics. Uh, and But, you know, let's, of course, begin with the big story that, you know, it's not like a breaking news story, but it is going on, you know, in the last month and going to be going on in the next month or so. I'm, of course, talking about tax reform. Now, the last time that the United States saw sweeping tax reform of really any kind was back in the mid-80s during the Ronald Reagan presidency. So it's been a while since we've done some housekeeping and GOP on the Hill say, hey, it's about time that we did a little bit more. Now, currently, we know about the drafts of the House bill and the Senate bill. The House bill has actually passed through the House of Representatives. The Senate bill has not gone through any kind of vote yet. It's still being marked up. Uh, it's still being debated. However, we do at this point know differences between current law, the House bill, and the Senate bill. And we know, you know, the big sweeping changes that are true for both the Senate and the House bill, things like reduction of the corporate tax from 35% to 20% and multiple tax breaks at the individual level. Like with all big pieces of legislation, there are of course winners and losers, and we'll get to kind of a rundown of those in a moment, but first I want to take a holistic view of what the public generally thinks about this law. Well, a compilation of different polls of the public essentially tell us that this law as written, especially the House version, is not very popular, only garnering support of about 30% of the public. Now let's put that in perspective, right? So the House GOP tax reform bill in 2017 has about 30% support. Compare that to the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, its level of support just when it was getting passed in 2009 was more around 41, 42, those low 40s. Uh, you can also look at other kind of tax money bills like the Bush administration, Bush 2, uh, tax cuts, those fell into around the mid 50-ish range of support for the bill. Uh, essentially, you can look at a big chart of you know popularity of different bills uh, that have gone on for the last basically 30 years and you'll find that this tax reform bill and the GOP healthcare bill that came and kind of failed before it are historically unpopular falling into the favorability ratings of 25 to 30 percent that's not great in just a moment we're going to talk about the actual winners and losers as far as the text of these bills are concerned uh, so stay tuned for that on politics explained on anchor Hey, there you go. I still got it. Okay, so the elevator pitch for the GOP tax bill as it currently stands is, hey, this is something that is going to lower the corporate tax and therefore spur economic growth across the United States 
also it's going to give a tax break and some financial relief to middle class families. So essentially the uh, median income of uh, I think it's about 73,000 and around that area, right? Those are the people are going to, uh, you know, I think right now the estimates are get about $1,500 um, extra in their pockets a year. Um, the caveat is for only about the next eight years as far as this legislation goes. You see, because uh, there's certain budget restrictions and Congress has to stay within a certain limit, they actually have um, provisions in the current bill especially in the Senate bill, to remove basically all of the individual level benefits that you would get from these tax bills after an eight-year period. Uh, the corporate changes in the tax system, the going from 35% to 25, or sorry, 20% rates, uh, those would stay constant. Uh, but this may be one of the reasons why the bill is unpopular. Number one, because they may not be selling it as anything other than a cut for uh, corporations, which it's kind of hard to see the immediate gains uh, from that at the individual level. And for the people who do actually see the individual level cuts helping them, they may be in tuned enough to also know that those cuts are set to expire after an eight year period, at which case some future Congress would basically need to have this debate all over again about whether to keep those. And then we'd have a discussion about the debt ceiling and uh, federal deficit. And, and, you know, whether individuals are like using this money in ways that we intended or something like that. I don't know. The point is it would get very messy after this first eight year period. So the long and short of this is number one winner, probably corporations in different industries in the United States because they're paying a lot less and they have a lot more revenue to to play with in their expansion and, and you know, just profiting endeavors, you know, whatever that particular business wants to use that money on. Uh, losers is, you know, maybe the American public after an eight-year period if large widespread economic growth is not the result of tax cuts for corporations. Uh, but what about other people? What about more niche areas? What about higher education? What about um, people with existing medical conditions? How might these types of individuals be affected by tax reform. We'll talk to that, talk to that, we'll talk to that. You know, we will talk to that in just a moment. You're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. So now let's do it. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty of the House and the Senate bill and the current law and, you know, how they differ and how they affect people like you and me and, you know, just maybe the other kinds of different people in our lives. So let's start off with some of the, you know, the good things that this tax bill does. One of the things that it does is it, I believe, doubles the standard deduction. And that is essentially takes the amount of money that you are allowed to take from your income that normally you would say this part of it is not taxable and it doubles that amount. So it was about $6,500 and they're going to raise that up to about $12,000. Now, this is, of course, if you decide not to make additional exemptions and you just kind of say, give me the, the, the I don't want to do an itemized checklist of things that I can deduct. Just give me the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, the Senate bill and the House bill in this respect do the same thing. Now, keep in mind, this is something that would, uh, without reconciliation and without changes, go away uh, after an eight-year period. 
if you're a parent, if you've got kids, uh, they've actually raised the amount of exemption you can get per child uh, in the House and I believe also the Senate bill. Um, the biggest issue here is that it more helps parents who are more affluent than really parents who are uh, making low wages because they're kind of already uh, well, what's the word? Not really um, paying too many taxes um, as is, and so deducting larger amounts um, isn't really going to help those individuals proportionally. Um, so middle-class parents, uh, yeah, you actually get a little bit of a boost from the bill. Um, if you live in an area with, uh, you know, some more substantial state and local taxes, uh, then you are going to be having some problems uh, because taken away from things that you can deduct from your uh, federal taxes are state and local taxes. That's things like state income and state sales tax. Uh, yeah, it would also hurt some homeowners who can only deduct up to $10,000 in property taxes. Another thing in the bill for kind of owners of estates is uh, they are basically lessening the blow of taxes that you would have to give when uh, the estate tax kicks in. Uh, so people who have relatively large estates and uh, want to leave them to the people who are still around after they kick the bucket, uh, there is an estate tax exemption and it would currently double. That means individuals uh, would only be taxed on assets of more than about um, $11.2 million. Um, yeah. So, and that's just the Senate bill. The House version of the bill would actually eventually get rid of estate tax altogether. So very good for wealthy individuals in that one. And the last two groups to think about on my kind of short form list in front of me here are people with medical expenses and college and graduate students. Essentially people with uh, large medical expenses, currently they can deduct um, you know, out of pocket medical costs um, up to a certain amount. And those deductions would just be repealed in the House bill and in the Senate bill, they would stay exactly as they are, that you could take some deductions on out-of-pocket medical costs. Now, I've already talked at length. Uh, you can check out um, some of my archived episodes for stuff on college and graduate students, uh, but essentially graduate students have uh, the tuition of the schools that they are at applied to their taxable income. So graduate students make about $20,000 a year, uh, somewhere around that, and so you would take like the $30,000, $40,000 tuition of the school and you would put that on top of their taxable income. And so they would make 20000 and be taxed on dollars $60,000. Uh, not great for higher education. There's a few other things for private schools where they do things like tax endowments, uh, which can harm scholarships for some students. Um, but the tuition waiver uh, tax is kind of the big one that people are talking about. So there's some outline and some of the winners and losers. If you have other questions or just want to discuss uh, tax reform in general, uh, who you think it helps, who you think it hurts, if you think this is um, you know the right step for the country or a step backwards, uh, whatever your thoughts are, go ahead and call into the station. You are listening to Politics Explained. I am Ian Shapiro. Yeah, yeah, that was good.